believe miracles passed away when the last disciple died. And uh, that would be a sad place to live if you believed that. <clears throat> Testing, one, two. We need to believe that miracles can happen. And not only, and you know, most, uh, you'll hear Christians say that. You'll say, oh, I believe it in miracles, but do you believe you can have a miracle? Do you believe you can have a miracle? Amen. John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world, you're going to have tribulations. You're going to have trials, distress, and frustration, but be of good cheer. Take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted, for I've overcome the world. I've deprived it of its power to harm you. And I've conquered it for you. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, it says, And when he had called his 12 disciples, this is Jesus, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. Jesus, in this scripture, says that he gave his disciples power to heal sickness. Did you all get that? And this is why I said earlier, a lot of people think that when the last disciple died, that's when healing died. But you need to continue reading your Bible. In John chapter 8, verse 31, it says this, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. To who? People who believed him. And what did he say to people who believe him? If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, you're my disciple. That would be you and me. So then you go back to Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. He says, I've given disciples the power to heal. Now, I know there's going to be people who say, well, I just can't believe that. Well, the problem with that is it won't happen. The great thing about God is he, he just doesn't slap you upside the head and, and make you believe. He doesn't. Believing is a choice. Just like we talked about forgiveness being a choice. Believing is a choice. And so the more you believe that God has placed something on the inside of you to heal people, the more you start responding to that. But this is the thing. You say, well, what happens if I pray for somebody and they don't get healed. You're going to have to deal with that. Most people deal with it this way. I will never lay hands on somebody again and pray for them again. That's how most people deal with it. That is so bad. That's like, you know, when you started riding your bicycle. You remember that? Some of you, it was 60 years ago. But, I mean, can you remember that? I remember that because I'm not old. And even when I get old, I'll still remember. But anyway, my point is this, is that I fell over many times. But I was determined, I'm going to ride this puppy. And I've just got enough determination. You know, bull, they call it bulldog determination. When you're trying something and you fail, and you try something and you fail, you just keep trying. You, the Bible says this, the righteous may fall seven times, but he gets back up. The problem is not in falling the problem is, are you going to get back up? Are you going to get back up? So you just got to be determined. I'm going to pray for sick no matter what. No matter what. I'm going to believe God no matter what. 
There's going to be somebody that comes across your path that's going to thank God that you did not quit or give up. You need to believe God no matter what. You know, sometimes, you know, Americans can be sissy fat. I'm just going to get down where we live, all right? We can be sissy fat because we've had so many things that have become easy to us. You know, that's why they called the World War II generation one of the greatest generations because they had it tough. They did. The people who've lived in the last hundred years have had life a lot. You know, our toughness is that uh, the Starbucks gets closed for some reason. It just ruins our day. It is. It's just really bad. <laughs> or you could be like me. When I went through there yesterday, they gave me, I got on Highway 50, they gave me the wrong drink, and I couldn't even drink it. And I thought, man, it just ticked me off. I thought, man, is that just bad? That's first world problem. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but if you don't, if you're not careful, you'll let that tenacity and toughness just kind of slide off from you. Oh, I'm talking to somebody. We need to be tough. We need to be tough. When it comes to sickness, you better get tough about it. You better say, I'm not going to just let this thing stay on my body. I'm going to be determined that it is illegal on my body, and I'm not going to let it stay there. I'm not going to let this pain stay there. I'm not going to let this sickness stay there. I refuse. And it may have been there for 5 years, 10 years, or 20 years, and so you may have a little bit more work to do. But I'm saying you can start this at any time. Anytime. We sang about God is good. We have a mandate to tell the world that God is good and he does not want you to be sick. There's not a father, let me rephrase that. There's not a good father on this planet that wants his kids sick. No matter how they respond to him, no matter how they treat him, any good father would want his child Healed, well, blessed, and prosperous. Hallelujah. So some people may think, well, I just don't know about this healing stuff. And I don't know if I should, you know, really, you know, grab hold of it. You know, you preach a good sermon, Pastor. You preach a really good sermon, but I just don't know. There's going to be somebody in your future, whether it's you, your spouse, or your kids, is going to need healing. They are. And there could come a time when even the doctors, thank God for doctors. Can we just get a good amen for doctors? Thank God for doctors. But there could be a time that even the doctor will look at you and say, I can't do anything for you. What do you do then? What do you do then? You can still start believing God, but I don't know about you, but I would rather have my roof repaired before it starts raining. Instead of thinking, oh, it's raining. Honey, let's get out there and fix the roof. That was a joke. But anyway, because my wife would say, I don't know who the we you're talking about, but go for it. John, the book of John, the purpose of the book of John, he tells us, I just want to review a little bit of what we Started last week, John chapter 20, verse 21. He says this is the reason why the book was written. 
But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. God just doesn't want us to exist, ladies and gentlemen. He wants us to have life, the God kind of life, the God kind of life. And so John is saying in this book, he says, listen, if you believe what I've written in this one book of the Bible, this one book called John, if you believe in it, God will absolutely change your life. He'll change your life. In John 1.1, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. It sounds just a lot like Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was God. In the beginning. And you look at Genesis chapter 1 and he talks about creation and how did he create. How did God create? He spoke it into existence. And we said this last week. I'm not going to go into it. Listen, if you weren't here last week, you really need to hear last week's message. You can go it's on YouTube, it's on Facebook, it's on our website. There's many ways you can hear it, but you need to hear that. I really believe that's a word for now, today. And um, I talked about the string theory. You know, you have uh, in science, and I showed a film clip. It wasn't a preacher. It was a scientist who uh, talked about this. You know, you get your microscope, and you can look at things, and all of these microscopic things, you get it all the way down to protons, neutrons, and electrons, and all of that stuff inside the protons and neutrons are something even smaller called quarks. And now they believe inside the quark is the string. It's, it's like a rubber band that's in a circle, and it's like a string, and it's vibrating because it's emitting a sound frequency. Where did that sound frequency come from? Everything that you can see, feel, taste, touch, light, darkness even, everything has a string in it that it's emitting a certain frequency, and that determines what it is. Whether it's light, whether it's this chair, it's emitting a certain frequency that's different from everything else. Where did that frequency come from? In the beginning, God said, and it was. Man, where did, how did man get created? You know, everybody says he breathed into this man, but where did he get the flesh, the body from? Dirt, just so you know. Your body that we take so well care of, and thank God you put makeup on it and make it look nice, it's just a blessing. But it came from dirt. And where did the dirt come from? God, but what did he do to get the dirt to appear on the earth? He spoke to the dirt. So dirt has, <laughs> I'm going somewhere, just hang on, okay? Dirt has these strings in it that are vibrating, and it's got God's voice was in the dirt. Therefore, your body, your body has the voice of God inside of it. What's so important about that? Because the, vo the voice of God that's in your body will respond to your voice. It will respond to your voice. But if you don't believe that, it's not going to happen. John said, I'm writing this so you will believe. And if you believe, you'll see your life changed. 
If you believe that your body will respond to your voice, it will change. You're going to have to work on your brain, that thing in between your two ears. Because your brain goes, this just doesn't make sense. This just doesn't make sense. You know, it's just, I'm amazed that people are so shocked at things that don't make sense. That's so many things. I mean, I mean, I get my iPhone out and I push something on one part of the page and it takes me to some place. And then I push a different place and it takes me to a different place. And my brain goes, I don't know how that I just don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm a techie guy. I love technology. I love technology. I absolutely love technology. I don't understand 90% of it. But I still use it. And I don't use it and go, well, I don't understand it, so I'm not going to use it. I don't understand the phone. That would be 99% of everybody who has a cell phone. Let me just say, is anybody out there a cell phone? Do you understand how your cell phone works. Let me just see your hand. Cricket, cricket, cricket. Nobody. I mean, nobody does. But you, aren't you glad you use that thing? What's the way with the things of God? I don't understand that I can speak to my knee and it's hurting and it's painful. I don't understand. I can say, I refuse that pain in the name of Jesus. I'm not going to allow that pain to stay in my knee. I believe Jesus, by the stripes of Jesus, 1 Peter 2.24 says that I was healed. I believe the healing power of God is flowing through my body. I refuse to let pain stay inside of my knee. My brain goes, well, that just really doesn't make sense, Mike. I have conversations with my brain all the time, and he says that every time. You know, you're being really stupid. Don't, whatever you do, don't do that in public. And whatever you do, don't do it in front of the church while it's on camera, and the whole world can see it. You got to be dog, bulldog determined, man. You got to, oh, you, oh, you just got to say, I'm not letting this happen. I'm not letting it happen. Your body will respond to the voice of God. And the voice of God, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Your voice, listen to me, your voice is the same of God speaking through you. Now, I know a lot of religious people, and I do mean religious people. They have a problem with that. You're saying you have the voice of God in you? I'm saying that's what the Bible says. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit, one. There's not Mike on this half and God's on this half, and they're fighting each other, and God's trying to convince Mike, you know, you know, you really need to live right and do right. You know, you just really, no, they, they are one inside. They are one. What the battle that is going on is between your ears, your brain, your brain. That's where the battle goes. And so that's what you got to renew. Romans chapter 12 says we have to continually renew it. And so the way that you renew it is by thinking and meditating on what the word says about you. And the word is like a seed that gets planted inside of you. And just like a seed when you plant it in the ground, you water it, it gets sunshine, and you water it, it gets more sunshine. And all of a sudden it breaks through and it starts producing was inside the power that was inside that seed will produce and bear fruit when you put the word of God on the inside of you and I know most of you probably have heard this but we can let things slide you can let it slip 
You have to believe. When I plant that word inside of me, it will produce what it was supposed to produce. The Bible says his word shall not return void, period. But it shall accomplish that which it was sent to do. What was the word, what was it sent to do for you? Well, you read that 1 Peter 2, 24 says, By his stripes you were healed. The Bible says, whatever you put your hand to shall surely prosper. The Bible says that God meets all of my need according to his government plan of the United States of America. Because if the government goes down, you know, then God's going to have a hard time providing for you. And if gas, dear Lord, if it goes up to $10, we're just going to park our cars and start walking. No, if it goes up to $10 a gallon, God's going to provide enough money for me to put that gas inside of my tank, and I'll drive where I want to drive and go where I want to go. If you believe the word of God, that's what will happen. Or you can sit there and watch the news and go, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Lions and tigers and bears. Let's just watch Wizard of Oz every night. You know what I mean? Or you can believe God and say, I will have enough. And not only will I have enough, I will be so blessed that it will be running over that I'll be able to give and help others around me. Now you're taking it up a notch. Because most people think, you know, I just want to believe for us four and no more. I just want to believe that. And that's good and that's really not that good. Because the character of God is always too much. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look, they, Jesus says we need to feed these 5,000 people. And all the disciples look at Jesus and say, you know, there's not a Walmart close by. Where are we going to get enough food to feed 5,000 people? Jesus says, what do you have? Well, there's this little boy over here. He's got a lunch. He packed himself a lunch. And that's all the food that we see among 5,000 people. And Jesus said, bring it to me. A little boy's lunch. Gets brought to Jesus. He raises up to God and said, God, I thank you that you're the God who meets all of our need according to your riches and glory. And I thank you for blessing us in Jesus' name. And he broke it off and he gave it to the disciples and he told them, not Jesus, he told the disciples, give it out and you feed the people. You feed the people. And they begin to give it out. And they begin to give it out. And they begin it out. And all of a sudden, this little boy's lunch. Listen to me. You know this story, but you know the principle behind it. It fed 5,000 people, and they had 12 baskets left over. I don't know about God, but I would have probably just did enough just to feed 5,000. We're calling good. We're calling good just feeding 5,000. I mean, we think that, you know. We fed 5,000, and we're done. Woo, just enough. I tell my wife this all the time. I said, when we have people over, I don't want to just have just enough. When I look on the table, I want there to be food left over. Am I telling you right? I mean, that is not a rule, but I like to see that. I want to see food left over. Why? Because that way you know if somebody, you know, there is, if it's all gone, that means somebody may have wanted some, some more, but there was no more. Jesus had 12 baskets left over. 12 baskets. One basket would have been great. 12. Twelve baskets left over. Everybody said, that's my God. Anyway, Proverbs 18, 20. 
Wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. The tongue can bring, say that, death or what can bring? Your tongue, that thing, that thing inside of your mouth. It can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. This is the NLT. It says, for the word of God is alive, and it's powerful. The word, the Bible that you read, that's sitting on your coffee table or it's inside of your phone or your iPad or your computer, that thing is alive. The Bible is alive. It's, not only is it alive, the Bible says it's powerful, it's sharper than any Sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The Word of God, one minister said this, the Word of God was spoken so that it could be written, and it was written so that it can be spoken. You and I have to keep speaking the Word of God. You have to keep speaking. So, are you speaking the right things? Are you speaking? It's easy to speak. Oh, nothing's going good for me. Oh, I can never get a good job. I can never get ahead. I hear people say that all the time. I can just never get ahead. I just can't get ahead. What happens? You never get ahead. So you just have to change that. You know what? Not only do I get ahead, I get so far on top ahead. There's seven titles Seven names or titles that John says that Jesus is in the very first book, the very first chapter of John. He says he's the word. He says he's the light. He is the light. Seven times John calls Jesus the light. John likes seven. You go throughout the book of John, there's a lot of seven categories. Uh, He calls Jesus the light seven times. So we don't have to. Why? Because we don't have to dwell in darkness no matter what that is. Jesus is the, the light of God's glory. He points us to the Father. Light is what, how we get to our destination. Isn't it great that you got headlights on your car? Can you imagine driving when there, with no headlights, no taillights? You talk about the rate of accidents going up. You talk about insurance going up. Everything would go up, but why you can't see. I mean, it's pitch black. But I'm just thankful there's headlights on my car. But this is the thing about the headlights. They only go so far. But as you're traveling, as you're going, it keeps lighting further down your path. It keeps lighting further down your path. So the Word of God will do that. It'll do that when you're 20 years old. And when you're 20 years old in six months, it keeps lighting that path. And when you're 21 years old, it keeps lighting that path. And it keeps lighting and keeps lighting every day of every month of every year of your life. To get you what? To your destination. What is that? I don't know. That's between you and God. But it's there to get you to a certain destination. The word of God is for you and I to get to a certain destination. So light. Light that sustains my spiritual life. Light that purifies my life. Light that nurtures and heals my hurts. The light that gives security. It's the light of God. And that light is inside you and me. Wall to wall. Inside of you is the light of God. It's important to know that because people are living in darkness. Because common sense, in case you didn't know, has left our planet. 
And so they need, and so people are living in darkness. I mean, they think the sun's out, but there is nothing but darkness in between their body, brain, and every part of them. They're just, and you can tell because when they open their mouth, they tell what they are, who they are, just by speaking. And why is that? Instead of, listen to me, because I do this, and I'm still working on it, (laughs) because when I hear people speak like that, especially from the television, it just makes me think that you're so stupid. You are so, how can you breathe and still walk? But I mean, how? What's going on? But then, you know, the spiritual part, they don't have the light, Mike. They don't have light. You know, so instead of making fun of people and, and just oof, causing you to blood pressure to go up, which that's, I'm still working on that part. But, I mean, you, you just have to say, you know what? They don't have the light. They don't have the truth. They're in darkness. They're in darkness. The third name that is in the first chapter of the book of John is he's called the Son of God. Nathaniel said, you are the Son of God. The fourth one is Christ. What is Christ? It's not Jesus' last name, Jesus Christ. You know, when I was a kid growing up, I thought that was his last name. Hey, what's your last name? Christ, Jesus Christ. That's his last name. No, Christ is, means he is the anointed one. Christ means he is the anointed one. And this is the great thing that God says about you and me is that the anointing abides in you. What does that mean? Everything that was in Jesus. Acts 6.38. That doesn't sound right. Something 38. says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. God anointed Jesus. The same anointing that was upon his life. Do you have Jesus on the inside of you? Do you think when he came inside of you that he left the anointing outside? You know, he took that part of him off and, and then he got inside. I'm leaving my anointing out there. No, the anointing of God is inside of you. What is the anointing for? Same thing it was on Jesus. Uh, He says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed, for God was with him. So Christ, the fifth one, is the Lamb of God. When uh, Abraham was going to sacrifice his son Isaac, Isaac asked him this. Where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide. And he did. His name was Jesus. He provided Jesus as our sacrifice. Number six, he was called the king of Israel. Number seven, he was called the son of man. The son of man speaks to the human nature of Jesus. Jesus got tired. Jesus got hungry. Jesus got sleepy. Why? Because he was a human. And yet he was 100% God, but he was in a human body. So John supports these seven titles by the stories in chapters 2 through 12 to say and prove this is why he has these seven names because look at what he does throughout these stories, these miracles that Jesus has done. But there is a pattern. Jesus would perform a sign or make a claim about himself, have a miracle or, or say something about himself and then that the people would either have a misunderstanding, or they would have controversy, but the bottom line is they would have to make a choice. They would have to make a choice. Do you believe he is the healer? Do you believe he has the power to forgive sins? 
Do you believe that he can raise from the dead? Do you believe? The choice is up to you and me. So at the end of each story, we're forced to make a choice, a decision. You and I have to do the same thing, even today. You make a choice whether you believe what I'm saying, whether what I'm preaching from the word of God is true or not. Some people can hear this, and even though it's not my opinion, I'm taking scripture from that, and they choose to not believe. They don't believe that healing is for today. They don't believe that God wants you well. That They don't believe for God to prosper you and for you to have an abundance. They don't believe that. Even though you can quote from the word. Let me hurry up. I'm out of time, but I'm going to give you this. John chapter 2, verse 6. This is so good. This is the very first sign or miracle that Jesus did in his life. On this planet. John chapter 2. Now there were six stone water pots. Jesus is invited to a wedding. Big feast. Big, big feast. Big, big wedding. Now there were six stone water pots standing nearby. They were meant to be used for the Jewish washing rituals. Each one held about 20 gallons or more. Let me back up a little bit. They ran out of wine. That would be embarrassing at a wedding to run out of wine. And so Mary's mother says, you know, looks at the servants and says, whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. Okay? You got the background? And then we're picking it up from here. Verse 7. Jesus came to the servers and told them, fill the pots with water right up to the very brim. So there's these six water pots that hold 20 gallons. That's big. And he tells them to fill them up full of water. Verse 8. Then he said, Now fill your pitchers and take them to the master of ceremonies. So they take their pitcher, dip it into the 20-gallon jar, and then they take that to the master of ceremonies. All right? And when they had poured out their pitcher of the master of the ceremonies to sample, the water became wine. When he tasted the water that became wine, the master of ceremonies was impressed although he didn't know where the wine had come from, but the servers knew. He called the bridegroom over and said to him, Every host serves the best wine first until everyone has had a cup or two. Then he serves the wine of poor quality. I wonder what. You need me to draw you a picture or what? I mean, if you have about four or five glasses of wine, you think, this stuff is really good, really good. Some of you weren't getting it, so I thought I had to help you out a little bit. Everybody with me now? We're all on the same page? Okay, just checking. So he called the bride and groom over and said to them, Every host serves the best wine first until everyone's had a cup or two. Then he serves the wine of poor quality. But you, my friend, you've reserved the most exquisite wine until now. This is the best stuff that's ever hit my tongue. I'm telling you, this is good stuff. The miracle of Cana was the first of the many extraordinary miracles Jesus performed in Galilee. This was a, what? Sign revealing his glory, and the disciples believed him. What's another word? You've heard me preach here before. What's another word for glory? Goodness. So it was a sign revealing God's goodness. It was revealing God's goodness. Let me back up. 
Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6. In Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. This is prophecy. Listen to me. The Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-edged wine, well-aged wine and choice meat. It started with this miracle at the wedding. This prophecy starts being unfolded and revealed to the world through this wedding. That God sees a need and he says, I'm going to fill it, but I'm not just going to fill it and just create wine. I'm going to create wine that no one's ever tasted before in their life. Do you get that? This wine didn't come from grapes that, you know, you, everybody did the one-two step on it to get it to become wine. This wine was supernatural wine that came from a miraculous, powerful miracle of word from God that Jesus said, do this, now go serve it to them. And it became wine. So what is the point? I believe it's the sign reveals, first of all, the generosity of Jesus. That wasn't life or death. It wasn't life or death. It was just embarrassment. It was an embarrassment situation. You know, a year from now, nobody would remember. You remember that wedding we went to and they ran out of wine? That was one of the worst days of my life. How about you? Oh, nobody's going to be talking like that. No, I don't remember that. Nobody's going to remember. So, But Jesus did that. Do you think this was life and death? No, it wasn't. Let's just be real. I mean, it just wasn't that serious of a thing, was it not? Hmm. But it was a miracle that Jesus performed to prove his generosity and to say something about his character about the character of Almighty God, about his kingdom. It reveals that he cares about every little thing in your life. And not only that, now I'm going to say it's my opinion, okay? But it's my opinion that through this story that God doesn't get upset with you having something that is the best. Booyah. I don't know what that means, but anyway, it just sounded good when it came out. My point is this. Some of you are getting too serious on me. Like, so to change the expression in your face, I have to do something funny to get that out of there. But anyway, this is the point I'm trying to make. Because I've struggled with this a lot of my life that when, you know, they, they make something that is the best, you know, you say, well, I really don't need that. You know, where do you draw the line? I don't really need a car with all the bells and whistles. I don't really need, you know, a car that I, just as long as, it, you know, it's a car. Well, you know, and, well, what if it's a car with four flat tires? Well, it's still a car. <laughs> Takes you about... Five hours to get to church from Pueblo West, but it's still a car. It'd be better to ride a horse if you're going up and down like that. Hey, what are you doing? Nothing. Just driving to church. All you need is a boot 
you know, one of them rap songs on. Maybe that's how rap got started. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> the point is this. We're rolling now in case you're visiting at our church. This is what we call a roll. But anyway, if you, if you want to know how rap started, just come to church. We can tell you how it got started. But anyway, my point is this. It's up to you where you decide. It's not up to God where that decision is made. Oh, that is so good. Well, they don't just deserve that. Well, who, who died and made you the God of all judgment? You don't need a car that has all that bells and whistles. You don't need this. You don't need that. You know, you know that's between you and God and your heart. Don't let anybody judge you of that. But I've come to the conclusion, if I want a nice vehicle, I'm going to believe God for that. And people may point their finger and go, well, you could have just, you, why didn't you get a moped? Why didn't God just, why didn't he serve Pepsi, Coke, Diet Coke on that, watered down Coke. Here's a cup of Coke in there, now fill it up full of water. Now see how that tastes. He didn't. I'm just saying, God, I don't believe, this is my opinion, he doesn't have a problem with you having something that's the best. I know some of you are getting choked right now. I mean, it's right, the words, right, it just won't go down all the way. I, I don't know about that. And you know why? It's because that's what you were taught in church, that it's poverty has risen up to where that's a spiritual thing between you and God. You ask anybody who truly would be honest with you, nobody who lives in poverty, it could, if you get them off camera and everything, say, so has this been a blessing to you? How's that poverty been working for you? Now, I'm not here to put down poverty. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. That's why God wants us to teach this to help them that are poor. But you can't help a poor person if you can't even make two ends meet yourself. But God wants you to be raised up and be blessed, overflowing, to hear a word like this in due season that so when somebody is poor, you say, I can help you, brother. You need a car? We'll get you a car. You need a house? We'll get you a house. Man, yeah, we're raising the bar just a little bit. You need a cup of coffee? Well, I don't know. Let me see how much I got. Start off with a cup of coffee. Start off with a meal. But don't stop there. We got a mandate. Change the way people think about God, that he's good, and he doesn't mind you having good things. But listen to me. No matter how blessed you get, this is the main point. Jesus has to be the focal point in your life because if you're not, you can get blessed because God warned the people in, in, uh, when they were coming out of Egypt. He says, listen, you're going to be wealthy, but remember where it came from. That's the warning that he gave them. He didn't get there. Once you get it now, he says, well, make sure you give it all away. Right away. Right away. Give it away. Give it away. Give it away. No, he says, remember where your prosperity came from. Remember that Jesus is the focal of your point. And that will keep you in the middle of the road. This is called the gospel, which means good news. It's the gospel. It's the good news. And the good news has set people free. The good news is put a smile on people's face. And if there's any time in history that people need to smile, it's today. It's amazed that you can go to church and you're, frown, you're frowning more after you come out of church than when you, before you went into church. Maybe you didn't hear the gospel. Maybe you didn't hear the good news. 
I believe if you hear the good news, that it'll change your life. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. The eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. That we may be a people that believe what John said. That we would not just call ourselves believers, but that we would believe what the word spoken to us, preached to us, taught to us. That we would know that this is what I should believe and live by it. Father, help us to grab hold of that in Jesus' name. Let this church and those who are watching grab hold of it and say, you know what? I'm not just going to call myself a believer. I am going to believe. Believe in his goodness. Believe in his goodness. Father, thank you for helping us to do that. You've given us grace to be able to do that. We choose to believe. We choose to receive that grace and for that grace to be manifested in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.